from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Joy Powers. Today we'll visit Artery Inc., a local company that uses art to raise awareness about health while building community. Very early on, it just became like a thing for both of us, where Mara does the actual design digitally, and then she prints it for me, and then I go in with my Pilot Fine Pen and do all the little details in the inside. We'll look back on a Milwaukee holiday tradition, the Schuster's Holiday Parade. The showstopper was uh, Santa Claus at the very end. And what made it unique was that he had a team of real live reindeer who were <laughs> pulling his sleigh. Plus, we'll help you through a breathing exercise that might lighten your holiday load. All of that is coming up on Lake Effect. But first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Joy Powers, and thank you so much for joining us. There's a Milwaukee company that specializes in apparel featuring hand-drawn, anatomically correct designs through T-shirts, cards, prints, stickers, and much more. Their mission is to build community while inspiring you to love your insides. Artery Inc. was founded by Mara Natkins and Gloria Ramirez. They've been together for 14 years, and it was their shared love of art along with a fascination with the human body that led them to leave their jobs and start Artery Inc. in 2014. Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski visited Artery Inc. on the south side of Milwaukee to meet Mara and Gloria and learn about their story. Mara begins by explaining how health struggles in their families shifted their perspectives and careers. It was actually in 2013 that my aunt passed away from breast cancer. My grandpa died and her aunt died all within a week of each other. Oh, I'm sorry. And it was like very hard. Um, and it really made us think about our lives and were we doing what we wanted to be doing? And it reminded us of how short our lives are. And we knew the answer to that was no. Um, so we started kind of learning about what we liked, what, what did we, we thought about what we want to do with our art, what do we want to do for our careers, um, while at the same time we kind of started learning about our bodies and health and wellness. Because we thought, well, if I were to get sick, would I be able to thrive? Mm -hmm. Same with her. And same. we weren't unhealthy, but we weren't that healthy either. And we knew we could feel better. So we ended up seeing a doctor who kind of explained digestion to us. And we were like shocked. How, how did we not know what goes on in there? And we were like becoming fascinated with learning about it, understanding how our bodies worked, changing what we were eating, changing our lifestyles. And we like couldn't believe how awesome we started to feel. And we became really passionate about that. And we thought, how can we relate this to our art in some way? And it just kind of like, we paired the two together and we thought, okay, what's a cool, fun name that would combine art and the human body? So we were like, Artery Ink. And all of our drawings are done with pen ink and all of our shirts are screen printed with ink. So it was like the perfect name. And that's kind of how it started. And we started with greeting cards, prints, and like a few shirts. We were like, shirts will be a side thing. It will be like a greeting card company. And that was kind of like how we started. I think uh, once we knew that we had like something special just because we heard from people. They have never seen anything like it. And also just like, you know, very um, intrigued by why we chose to do the anatomy. And, and we started to see that it was, you know, getting traction. So we decided to just apply for as many shows as we possibly could. 
you know, it was the first year we're still working in the service industry. And then there was a point where we were like, okay, if we don't explore this 100%, we're never going to know the potential of it. So we decided to quit the service industry and to give our full attention to artery. And that's when, like, you know, things started to kind of like, you know, the ball just like kept rolling. And I imagine it's a little intimidating. You have this learning curve of like, how do we take this artistic design, our central mission and concept, how do we translate this to a business? So what was that transition like for you? You knew you had traction already, but can you talk a bit about like, was there a moment or a few instances where you're like, okay, this is feasible. Like we can make this for our career. Yeah. So we are like big believers in like, what you focus on grows was like a very constant thing that we always said to ourselves. And we just surrounded ourselves with like podcasts and books and stuff that like kept us inspired and pumped and the stories of other people that have taken a weird or crazy idea and like made it their life. And we just really, even if it was naively believed that like, if we just wanted to do it, we could figure out a way to do it. And I always think it's funny because as the business grew, healthcare professionals started becoming really interested in our designs and asking, oh, can you make us custom shirts? And like, we were at a point where we're like, we'll just say yes to everything and figure it out. We'll just try. Yeah. And so that was a whole period of growth too. We started doing custom shirts for healthcare professionals. And I always remember thinking like, if someone would have told me that like, I was one day going to create like anatomically correct illustrations for medical professionals, I'd be like, no way, because I didn't go to school for that. I didn't even know what like a spleen looked like. Like, I don't understand all that. And it's just like such a good testament to say like, you don't have to know it all in order to figure it out and be successful at doing it. So I think just the amount of emails we got and just requests, like just was proof to us that like, we could do it. Like we could find people that were interested in this. People thought it was unique. Nothing out there was like this that like we had to just give it a shot and go for it i think in addition to that it was very important for us to recognize that we didn't know everything that we needed to learn a lot of things right and when it comes to the business side of things because we're artists you know we don't know financials we don't know any of that stuff so you kind of have to find your tribe right i think the way that we knew how to put ourselves out there is we did a lot of networking it was just like all these people that had like other things to bring to the table that we didn't know about, that we knew that we had to learn. And I feel like that was another part that was like very fascinating just to learn about Milwaukee and how amazing the community in Milwaukee is and how uplifting. It was pretty amazing. Well, and I love how kind of just the natural growth and community fostering for the growth mm -hmm. is kind of a, a streamlined theme here. You mentioned you were getting some custom order requests mm -hmm. from healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that learning curve of learning the correct way to draw a spleen, your GI tract, heart, mm -hmm. lungs, your brain? Like, how, sure. how do you study? Because yeah. you got to make sure these are correct when you're sending yeah. them to a hospital. And if you look at some of our first designs, they were a little bit less anatomically correct because we didn't have the idea of using them in a healthcare setting until a little later. And once we started to do that, one of the comments we got from a lot of nurses was like, oh, I love this because it's so anatomically correct. So we're like, okay, we have to make sure that's true. And so we actually work with 
the medical professionals, nurses, PAs, whoever's working with us to do the custom order, we send them sketches. They say, oh, this should look a little more like this, or this should be taller, or this is the wrong whatever. And so then we'll work with them to make sure it's right. And that's always been such a fun thing, especially as we get into these different departments. Like we did a heart with a pacemaker or a heart with a VAD, which is like a ventricle assist device. And like, I wouldn't know how to draw that, but like they sent us photos, we did the sketch, sent it back, and it's like a collaborative effort. And it's just so much fun because then they had a part in creating this really cool, unique design. And it's just fun to see it come to life like that. Another little part to that, well, not so little, Mm -hmm. but... um, we came up with a coloring book because we didn't know like necessarily the anatomy of it. Um, we had an anatomy teacher as well as a doctor helping us, you know, with facts and helping us to make sure that the anatomy was correct. And also, we got the great opportunity to attend a cadaver lab for research. That's amazing. You know? uh, we became <laughs> so cool. friends with a student that was like so kind to invite us. You know, to say like you know all the students are done with the cadaver lab and my teacher wants to know if you guys want to come and do some research we're like oh my god that is like insane yeah. you know so that's like a, those great opportunities that you don't believe that they could happen and it happened you know so we took advantage of it um and i think that also just broadened the, the spectrum of wow like what the the, the human body actually looks like mm-hmm. it was um such a learning and amazing experience. It's definitely for sure. a privilege to like to be able to hold someone's heart in your hand mm-hmm. is like an experience that I didn't think much about, but after doing it, like how grateful and what a privilege that is to yes. be able to do that. Definitely. In learning how to draw things correctly to make sure they reflect the correct anatomy of the human body. Can you share a bit about your sketching process? Gloria, can you share it? Because I've seen videos of you guys kind of passing things back and forth. Is this the same case for every design or is it something you just mix into it? It is the same for every design. I feel like at the beginning of the, of the business, Mara was like sticking more with like uh, the greeting card portion of it. I started to do some of like the, the very first like anatomical drawings. But then, like, very early on, it just became, like, a thing for both of us, right? Where Mara does the actual design of the drawing digitally, and then she prints it for me, and then I go in with my Pilot Fine Pen and do all the little details in the inside. And then once I'm done with my process, I give it back to her so then she can scan it, and then she has to go to every single one of my lines. (laughs) (laughs) To digitize it. To digitize it in order for it to be printed and an apparel or other swag because, you know, ink bleeds. So yeah, it's a, it's a long process, but it's, it has always been like a collaboration between the two of us. Even like just going back to the service industry, they used to put us in the same sections because they knew we worked really well together. So we have like this kind of dance that we do back and forth that we know where we stand and we know our strengths. And so in the business side of it is, is the same thing. So the business originally started as organic growth, a lot of custom things, but once the pandemic hit in 2020, you had kind of a mission and mindset shift. Can you explain what that was? For sure. Um, So I think it was in like 2018 that we maybe started working with 
healthcare professionals doing custom orders and designs. And we did some cool custom stuff for the Medical College of Wisconsin and just had over the two years kind of became friends with a lot of nurses, started learning a lot about their lives, like really loving getting to know them. And then COVID happened. And I remember we were like, well, we don't know what we're going to do. We're going to be maybe out of business. We had a part-time, one part-time staff member and we said, we'll pay you as long as we can. I don't know what's going to happen. We went home. We didn't think we were allowed to leave. We didn't know what to do. We would scroll through Instagram and just watch all of our nurse friends like struggling. And we would cry every night thinking like, all we have to do is stay home. But these people have to go in two rooms where they know there are COVID positive patients. They don't have proper protection. They don't have gloves. They don't have masks. Like this is horrible. How can this happen? And we just were heartbroken and we thought like, what can we do? What can we do? Is there anything we can do to help? And we said, we were in the process of making like a heart of healthcare design, which is like an anatomical heart that represents healthcare. And we were like trying to finish it, not knowing what was coming. And then like when this happened, we thought, oh, this would be a great time to release this design and we can use it as a fundraiser to raise money for a Feed the Frontline campaign. We thought that'd be a great way to use it. We also decided we we're going to do a lung design that said we're in this together on the back and we're like we'll sell both of these we'll raise money we'll see what happens like at least we can try if we sell 100 shirts maybe that'd be great we posted about it and i think like we sold 900 shirts in the first week and it was nuts we went from trying to stay home to like being at the studio shipping orders from eight in the morning to like eight at night every day and it was like crazy like i remember just like would look at each other and we'd be like, what is even going on? Like, this is insane. We ended up donating $12,000 to the Feed the Frontline campaign, which I don't even remember how many nurses that fed, but it was a lot. And we just knew that this was what we had to be doing and continue to do. So we just started doing fundraisers for all sorts of stuff that we cared about, that our customers cared about. And we just knew that this was like the way that we had to grow and the way that we wanted to grow. And then in, I think it was last year, we ended up donating over $36,000 to mostly Wisconsin-based organizations, some outside the state. And it's just become the core of it. And it's just like so cool to see the response from people. Like they're wearing an artery shirt that supported this cause and they see a friend across the hall wearing that other shirt. And you just know you're on the same team and you can feel like you're part of something bigger and really cool and unique. And it's just been amazing to see that grow. Because we know that um, if you have a platform, we believe that you have to use it for good. Otherwise, what is the point, right? Um, giving people an avenue to help, it's like everything for some people, right? A lot of people want to do something, they just don't know how. If you give them that, that something, people will show up, most definitely. And we have seen it time and time again. Yeah, and I think that was when the whole, like, building community really became, it was always important to us, but, like, it became even more important during that time because we'd get the sweetest messages saying, like, you know, I didn't want to go to work, but putting on your Heart of Healthcare shirt made me feel better and my friends wore it and I felt like I could get through the day. Like, those little things just, like, made us cry and, like, feel so grateful that we were able to use our art in this way. And it's really cool to see how it's grown because like we'll do stuff for like mental health awareness month every May or breast cancer awareness or stuff like that. And then we'll get requests from a lot of our customers. Like we have one customer that her dad died of pancreatic cancer. So we partner with her every year to do a pancreatic cancer awareness shirt. Another friend has diabetes. So we'll do like a diabetes awareness shirt. And it's really cool to learn about these different causes and be able to like support people that we care about and people that the community cares about too. 
Well, Mara and Gloria, thank you so much for having me in your space and for sharing your mission and your journey. Thank you for having us. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Mara Natkin and Gloria Ramirez are the founders and owners of Artery Inc. in Milwaukee. They spoke with Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski. You can find out more information and see some of their designs at wuwm.com. And did you know that you can listen to Lake Effect as a podcast? Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to download and listen on demand. You can also follow WUWM on Instagram, where you'll find videos and pictures from news stories and Lake Effect interviews. Coming up, we'll learn about the Schuster Holiday Parade of Old Milwaukee, which included live reindeer pulling Santa's sleigh. That's coming up on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. You're listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Joy Powers. Parades are an essential part of the holiday season. Whether it's the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade or a local parade full of friends and neighbors, parades allow communities to celebrate through music, costumes, and over-the-top floats. For many years here in Milwaukee, Schuster's Holiday Parade was the pinnacle of the season. From 1927 through 1961, the parade drew hundreds of thousands of people into Milwaukee neighborhoods and featured live reindeer at the head of Santa's sleigh. Historian John Gerda joined me in 2020 to talk about it. So Schuster's parade for many years was a big part of the holidays here in Milwaukee, and Schuster's itself was also a big part of the city. For people like me who may not be familiar with it, what was Schuster's? Schuster's was the biggest department store chain in the entire state. And that's saying something back in the the 1800s, early 1900s. It was founded back in 1884 uh, by a a German-Jewish immigrant uh, named Edward Schuster. And he established what was a kind of a smaller store on 3rd Street. And then he had a couple more branches on the north side. And what really made it take off was his son-in-law, Albert Friedman, who was uh, an entrepreneur of the the first magnitude. And he began a building program that ended up uh, putting up these big, they're they're all still here. The the stores are still here. Uh, The flagship was on 3rd and Garfield, now Martin Luther King Drive in Garfield. And they built two more stores of the same size on 12th and Valete and down on 11th and Mitchell. Uh, So the remarkable thing about Schuster's was that they were the biggest department store chain in the state, and they had no downtown location. No, they, they were never downtown. So what that really underlines to me is the strength of the shopping districts in Milwaukee's neighborhoods. And the, the famous phrase, uh, you only hear it as kind of a, a surviving legend, uh, but the, the way that a lot of Milwaukee Germans would sort of torture you know, the English syntax and kind of come up with their own phrases, and the most famous one uh, was Meet Me Down by Schuster's, where the streetcar bends the corner around. 
So, and the, and there were there were three to choose from. You, know, you, could, you could meet people down by any any one of those three shoesters. So they were a very big deal. Uh, they were the Boston store was a big deal. Gimbel's was a big deal. Uh, but shoesters, you know, for much of the 20th century was was larger than than both of them. Well, and Schuster's had this kind of hallmark parade, which now when you think about parades, you do think of department stores like Macy's. How would you describe the parade itself? Uh, there were no balloons. Uh, I'm not sure what they were doing with helium back then, but they didn't have balloons like Macy's. But the parade, this thing was, I think it was seven miles long, you know, so it really went all the way around the city. And what made it unique was that it ran on the rails of Milwaukee's streetcar system. And back in the days before freeways, obviously, the way people, most, most people got around was by a streetcar. Uh, they go back to the 1890s. So there was a very well-developed system of rails in Milwaukee streets. And they arranged the route very clearly to go past the Schuster stores on 3rd Street, King Drive, Bleed Street, as well as Mitchell. So that's a lot. It's a lot of real estate. So they had to kind of uh, use a variety of, of transfers, you know, in terms of uh, how a, a commuter might have used the streetcar system to get to, to all those locations. And so it was something that uh, attracted people from all sections of town. And where they would build those floats, this is essentially kind of a, in some ways, a lease arrangement. The We Energies was the parent company of the electric railway company as well. Back in those days, those early days from 1896 or so through the 1950s, they were sort of a, a hybrid of traction, the streetcar company, and lighting and power. So the whole point was to have kind of a 24-hour load of transportation during the day uh, and power during the day and light at night. So the, the main shops for the streetcar system were out there on... Um, Right north of the, the Miller Brewery, just west of Harley-Davidson, up there on about 40th and, and uh, Valith, just to that area. And the Schuster's crews would kind of commandeer those shops beginning back around even before Thanksgiving. And they would use flat cars as their bases. And a little like people might re- remember building homecoming floats when they were in high school. So you'd start with kind of a, a flatbed of some sort, flatbed, flatbed truck and build from there. This was a much larger scale and much, much more sophisticated, much, much more artistic. And they would choose themes, uh, Cinderella, uh, Peter Rabbit, Three Little Pigs, and all the, the kind of Christmas themes as well. And those would kind of ride on the rails. And that became the kind of the signature of the Schuster's Parade. And of course, the showstopper was uh, Santa Claus at the very end. And what made it unique was that he had a team of real live reindeer who were <laughs> pulling his sleigh as actually the streetcar, you know, kind of pulled it through town. And they were tended by, uh, as, they call, as they called them, a genuine Eskimo uh, named Meetik. So the reindeer lasted for, for decades. Uh, but as you can imagine, you know, animals are, can be somewhat unruly. So they... <laughs> By, by the end of the parades, uh, the parade era, uh, they were replaced by stuffed reindeer. But it was, it was unique. It was a, a unique spectacle. And they would draw, you know, at a time when Milwaukee's population was, I don't know, half a million, 400,000, they would draw 300,000 people to this parade. So especially in the bus- busy streets like Mitchell or Vliet, uh, through downtown, they were, it was just throng. It was, it was a, a very big deal. 
it does sound pretty magical with you know the reindeer kind of pulling the sleigh and a lot of the the things that we associate with parades today different kinds of floats themed for the holidays there was also a breakout star from the parades uh, a, a character called Billy the brownie yeah billy billy was he was too small to be featured in the floats because he was you know as brownies tend to be diminutive but he was described as santa's advance agent and helper and schuster's was advertising anyway you know obviously the christmas season is a, a huge one for retailers so as part of their onslaught of advertising for the holiday uh schuster's would file these kind of breathless reports from Billy, who I think, I think it was a woman's voice. If you go down to the County Historical Society over Christmas, they'll often have, I'm not sure if they're doing it again this year, but they'll, they will have all the broadcasts you know, of, of Billy. And you know, uh, he would kind of talk about where, where Santa was and not incidentally, you know, there'd be kind of a plug for, for Schuster's as well. Uh, he was also figured in the newspaper as, as, as well, uh, kind of a cartoon character. And he was something of a, a hero, a little like Tinkerbell and Peter Pan, you know, so kind of a hero to the kids of, of the era. You know, so a, lot of, a lot of people who are now in their 70s, 80s, perhaps 90s, you know, kind of go to bed, you know, kind of during the holidays, dreaming of their childhoods, you know, their encounters with Billy the Brownie. It's funny to us now, but at the time that these parades were happening, they developed a lot of new characters that were associated with Christmas. I think even characters like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer versus the rest of the reindeers that are supposed to lead Santa's sleigh. Rudolph is, is a relatively new addition. I believe that's right. And I don't honestly know, Joy, whether or not there was a red nose on one of the reindeer that was, was pulling uh, Santa and, and uh, sort of shepherded by Mitik. You know, but yes, you're right. No, that was part of the popular culture. Uh, Mitik himself, and this is something I hadn't known you know, until I worked on the Milwaukee Magazine article, he was actually a member of a family who actually herded reindeer uh, north of Nome, Alaska. So he really was kind of the real deal. But this was such an important deal for Schuster's and, and such, such a, a big gig for him as well that he actually moved to Milwaukee. Uh, his, his English name was Daniel Lupson. And I found uh, an article in the, the Milwaukee Journal uh, doing research for that story saying that he lived on North 39th Street and he worked in Schuster's service department. So he was a Schuster's employee and kind of worked in the service area during the year, uh, most of the year, uh, but then he got out his mucklucks and his uh, probably sealskin coat and you know, got up on the, the float every every Christmas holiday. Uh, he also, you know, during the off season, it was an interesting story. Uh, he, would, he gave a program to Milwaukee area schools called an Eskimo's Childhood. So he was uh, someone who was kind of a cultural ambassador uh, for kind of uh, Aleutian Alaskan uh, Native Americans. And he was someone who also he carved and sold Eskimo kind of knickknacks, you know, tchotchkes. And he was uh, someone who kind of maintained his culture in a place where there really were not many Eskimos here in Milwaukee. Yeah, of course. We're a little far south to have right, right. too many Inuit folk. Ultimately, what led to the demise of Schuster's parade? Part of it was the streetcar tracks were being torn up decade by decade. The first buses began to appear in the 19, 1920s. And the streetcars uh, continued to run. The last one ran in 1958. But that was just kind of a, a special out to the 
see Braves games at Milwaukee County Stadium. So the, the Schuster's folks had to kind of improvise. You know, the route was changed the, as the system was dismembered. They finally gave up in 1955 and consigned the rest of the parade to trucks. So it lost something of its, its, its magic, something of its allure. And probably the, the biggest change was that Schuster's was purchased by Gimbel's in, I think, 1962. And Gimbel's decided, uh, big downtown location, you know, there was kind of a, uh, they were an anchor of, down there on the Wisconsin Avenue with the Milwaukee River. And they decided to kind of uh, throw in with the, the downtown parade. And what that meant was that the, the neighborhood-oriented parade was expendable. So the last Schuster's parade was 1961 and survives today only in memory. A fun bit of Milwaukee history to take home for the holidays. John Gerda, thank you so much for joining us here on Lake Effect. My pleasure, Joy. Happy holidays. John Gerda is a local historian and the author of several books about Milwaukee history. We spoke about Schuster's Holiday Parade in 2020. The holidays can be a stressful time of year. But an exercise as simple as mindful breathing can help you get through it. When we actively concentrate on breathing techniques, it can actually reduce stress, create mindfulness, and even lower blood pressure. Amelia Toporsch is a breathwork facilitator, and she walks through a breathing exercise with Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski. The important part is the nostril breath. Um, the reason behind that is so that we are able to keep that fight or flight response down. We're engaging our parasympathetic nervous system when we're breathing in through the nose. And on the other end of that, if you're inhaling through the mouth, you're creating that fight or flight response and you're starting to get that heavy breath and your body is triggered to kind of watch out. So what we wanna do is breathe through the nose so that we're able to stay calm, we're able to stay cool, collected. And so utilizing that nose breath whether we're meditating or just breathing, is super important so that we are able to keep our bodies clean, calm, and collected. So let's go into a little exercise that we can all, I'm sure, use during this time. Okay, so today we're going to practice a conscious breath technique, um, the importance being conscious. So I want you to just be an observer in your own breath. We'll change your natural breathing pattern just slightly so that your inhale and your exhale are equal lengths, okay? So this breath is going to be three-dimensional. It's going to be an inhale through the nose, an exhale through the mouth, and the breath is going to pull into the deepest part of the diaphragm, into the belly, into the chest, and exhaling the air out. One technique is a four-count breath. It's an inhale through the nose. You can count to four in your mind and exhale for four, and an inhale for four, and an exhale for four. This conscious breath really allows you to root into your body, to 
bring attention to your emotional body and awareness and also helps your body, you know, stay in its powers, know that it's safe, know that you have the breath to come to and that everything is okay. And so I invite you to experience the physical and mental shifts that the breath can offer each of us. You can choose to be laying down or seated, regardless, as long as you feel comfortable. You can close your eyes, but if you're driving, please keep them open. The breath will be taken in through the nose and the exhale will be through the mouth. Okay, and the point of this breath is to pull deep inhales through the nose, down the back of the throat, into the lungs, into the belly, to the bottom of the diaphragm. And as we fill that belly deep like a balloon, we'll exhale that breath out through the mouth. Inhale through the nose. Think of three-dimensional breath. And as you fill that belly, you exhale, letting it go. I invite you to pay attention to how the body feels, how the belly moves. Are we feeling the lungs? Are we feeling the back of the body, the front, the sides, the belly? Are we creating a tempo that feels comfortable for us? Just notice. There's no wrong or right here. Stay conscious, stay present, and stay with your breath. And I invite you each to experience this breath for a handful of minutes until you feel like the process is complete, knowing you can always come back to this breath at any point throughout your day, whether it be needing to ground, needing to find some clarity, feeling triggering moments of anxiety, needing to decompress and de-stress from the family unit that most of us happen to be in day in and day out right now. Knowing that the breath is always a safe place for you to come back to, that you are capable of whatever life throws at you, and that you are creating your own set of tools in order to navigate life's ups and downs. Thank you guys so much for being here with me today. Again, my name is Amelia Toporsh. Love and support to you during these wild times. And I encourage you to always come back to the breath. Be well, be safe. Amelia Toporsh is a personal trainer, certified breathwork facilitator, and owner of Her Milwaukee personal health and wellness company. She spoke with Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski in 2020. This is Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Joy Powers. On October 31st this year, WUWM and Lake Effect experienced a profound loss. Our newest producer, Eileen Heikinen-Weiss, passed away after a car accident. She was just 39 years old. 
Eileen had started as a Lake Effect producer earlier that month, so you may not have heard much of her on air. Before coming to WUWM, she worked at WBEZ in Chicago in a variety of roles over about seven years. That's where I first met her. Eileen took a break from public radio to lead adventure trips and experiences with the travel company Backroads for nearly a decade. But she'd recently decided to come back to public radio, and we were so honored to have her join our team. Eileen was vivacious, ambitious, and she will be deeply missed by everyone here at WUWM, her former colleagues at WBEZ, and the countless people whose lives she touched. Here are just a few stories her friends and colleagues wanted to share about Eileen. My name is Becky Mortensen. I'm the executive producer of Lake Effect. I hired Eileen back in the summer, and I was just so, so excited to have her on the Lake Effect team. I knew even before she started that she was going to bring this energy and positivity, and it was clear that was the case from just the first day she was in the office. I have a few key memories of Eileen. First, when she was telling people how to say her name, she'd say, I'm Eileen, like Miley or Smiley, which I think is just the most appropriate thing for her because she was just such a smiley, happy, positive person. On the first day she was in the office, she immediately clicked with everyone. I watched her meet Audrey Nowakowski, who is tall, and Eileen is tall, and they immediately started talking about, like, hey, where do you buy your pants? And it was like watching a conversation between two old friends when they had just met each other. Eileen was really just starting to do interviews for Lake Effect. She had so many amazing ideas and she was so ambitious and I could tell she was just so excited to start doing this work. So I'm really sad that I won't get to hear any of those interviews and that I didn't get more time with Eileen. But to know her at all, I'm just so grateful because she was clearly a very special person. My name's Excarat Nunez, and I'm Lake Effect's production assistant. So I started working here about two months ago, a little bit before Eileen started here with us, and I was so excited to start this new journey with her. Um, the first time I met Eileen, the first things I noticed were her big, beautiful smile and how her bright and wonderful energy really filled the room. Um, I remember our executive producer, Bucky, had us get together for a one-on-one -on -one meeting just to get to know each other a little bit more. And what was supposed to be a 30-minute conversation turned into an hour of us chatting and laughing. I feel really incredibly lucky to have shared little moments like that with her. Um, another moment I think about a lot were our trips to the hot dog man outside Chase Tower. I remember the first time we went down to the hot dog guy, she kept saying she wanted to create an audio postcard about him just because you really have to go down and see him for yourself, but it's just a trip. Like the things that he says <laughs> and the sounds and so many people around, it's, I just remember like being in that moment with Eileen and both of us being like astounded by how um, crazy of a trip it was to the hot dog man. I feel so fortunate to have had the opportunity to meet Eileen, and just from getting to know her in the time that we shared, I know she was a really beautiful and incredible person. 
My name is Joy Powers. I'm a host and producer of Lake Effect. Eileen is the reason I got my first real job in radio. I started at WBEZ Chicago as an intern working on the afternoon shift where Eileen was a producer and a director. After a few months of working with her, she announced that she'd be leaving to go lead bike tours in South America, and uh, I replaced her. When she reached out to me about the job at Lake Effect, it was just, it was such serendipity. She was exactly who we needed. She was smart, energetic, curious, and maybe above all things, she was really ambitious. Even now, it's, uh, it's hard to think about Eileen without smiling. There are a million silly stories that I have heard about her since her passing, and she was a delightful person to be around. And I think a big part of that was because of how she lived her life. She used to say this phrase, uh, hit while the story is hitting. Basically, cover something while people are interested and engaged. But Eileen also lived her life that way. She always seemed like she was exactly where she wanted to be. And when she wasn't, she would change it so she was. She was a really courageous person. And, uh, and I wish Milwaukee had gotten to know her the way that I got to know her. Eileen Heikinen-Weiss was a stone-cold killer when it came to producing radio. She was tenacious and feisty and unapologetic about her desire to uplift communities that were ignored and to tell the stories of the suffering. And I think back to a cold January day in 2013 when she and I produced Afternoon Shift together. And it was a live broadcast at the Old Town Ale House. And there was a woman, her name is Shirley Chambers, and she had agreed to come on the show to talk about having just lost her fourth child to gun violence. And the woman in time just didn't think she could do it and she backed out and Eileen said, you know, I, I think from our conversations, this would really be healing for you. And Ms. Chambers said, well, I really want to do it, but I, I don't know if I can. And so um, any other producer would have just left it at that, not Eileen. She didn't know exactly where the woman lived, but she had an idea. And so within a two to three block radius on this freezing cold day in January, she knocked door to door, door to door, asking if Miss Chambers lived here or if they knew where she lived. And we were on live while she was doing this and um, she was checking in by text. And then lo and behold, she found her and she got her over to the Old Town Ale House and walked her through the door on the air, we're on the air and sat her next to Paul Krugman, who's this world-renowned economist. And um, she told this powerful, painful, but hopeful story about who these children were to her and um, how she was gonna manage to go on with her life. And she thanked this woman who tracked her down and she was glad that she came on the show. And, um, and that was Eileen. And I'm just very thankful for Eileen's example and her fearlessness. And I hope that we as people in media will continue her legacy and forward that fearlessness 
and support one another as she has supported others. I'm riding the same train I took to see Eileen. She was in Seattle. I was in Chicago. We had both quit our jobs and decided to meet in the middle at Glacier National Park. For a week, we wandered through the woods, past turquoise lakes. We called out to bears to scare them away. We hiked to a glacier and put our bare feet in ice-cold water. We reminisced about starting a union back at work, and we plotted to get Eileen back on the radio. I'm so glad she made it. Eileen was spontaneous, fearless, adventurous, big-hearted, such a free spirit. To me, Eileen and that trip will always be reminders to live life to the fullest. Quit your job, live out of your van, ride the trains, put your feet in a glacial lake, start a union, make radio, travel halfway across the country to see a friend, because nobody knows when it might end. Eileen and I met in kindergarten. Um, and she was always just a sweet, smiley, funny kid, smiley Eily. <laughs> and uh, she was one of my first friends and we stayed very close our whole lives. But um, she was always a huge presence in my life. She was always part of my support system, gave great advice, asked amazing questions. <laughs> Um, sometimes to a point where I was like, okay, that's, an <laughs> you hit the button on the, on the head here. Let's, uh, let's move on. <laughs> the story that I, that I thought would best sum up for me, the Eily spirit is, uh, a couple years ago on April Fool's Day, I thought it would be funny to post a video of myself dancing to a cheesy rock and roll song poorly and enthusiastically and announced that I was going to quit my job in healthcare and pursue my first love, which was dance. <laughs> the video really, you know, made it clear that this was a joke um, and everybody took it that way, except Eileen. <laughs> and she texted me and was like, this is so exciting. I am so happy for you, you know, like you're gonna rock it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I had to be like, hey, Eileen, what's what's the date today? And she was like, oh, okay. But of course, Eileen would think that you should quit your stable, boring job to pursue your passions, you know, like the, this in her world, that was perfectly normal. And um, she was gung ho and really supported that decision for me. Um, she has always been a light in my life and I just have to continue to see her that way because I I can't really I haven't really accepted that she's gone yet so she's still around for me and I talk to her all the time and um, I just hope that people can see what a sweet and beautiful and caring and original spirit she was Eileen, I'm sitting by the lake you love uh, on a big rock, and I'm thinking of you. This is Kate Cahan, and I always will think of you in relationship to nature, 
and to the world. And even though I feel so much the loss of being able to see you and know what you're doing and know what you're contributing, I have a very, very strong feeling your spirit is here with us and around us. It's here in the water and in the rocks and the sky that is so pink and blue this evening. I love you. I believe, believe that you contributed a great deal to this world. And I hope your family and your friends take a lot of comfort from that. You changed me in many ways just by your energy, by wanting to follow in the kind of energy you brought to the rest of us. Thank you. My name is Kendall and Eileen was my treasured friend. I've been trying to think of one story about her, but I'm finding that it's rather impossible to know where to begin because with Eileen, every single moment was memorable. She had such a way of sparking joy and humanity and wonder and even the most mundane of circumstances. So maybe I'll share about that. A mundane moment with Eileen. We met at CU Boulder on orientation day. We were both roaming campus and we were hopelessly lost. And I remember so distinctly that long before I saw her, I heard her because she was laughing so hard, standing in the sunlight, her hands on her hips in the middle of this crossroads where several walkways converged. And her laugh, it was this fully embodied event. It was startling the people passing by her and they were going wide to keep their distance. And she ended it all with a snort. Oh, I was downright intrigued. So I approached slowly. Her laughter had reminded me of the mating call of some creature I'd heard in the woods at night. And I told her as much, which started the progression all over again. And I stood there beside her in awe that one person could radiate so much joy and she had such an effect on all the people around her. Those who had first gone wide were now circling back. They were so curious. And others had just stopped walking altogether and they were just watching her. And it was so clear to me then that Eileen's bliss was absolutely contagious. Eileen was honest and wild and strong and also so deeply loving and tender. And I think such combinations are pretty rare. And I'm just so thankful that her laugh was rumbling that day because it drew me in and my life has been so much more vibrant for all these years of knowing her. Uh, I so wish I had, though I never did, ask her what was so funny that day we met, why she was standing at the crossroads and stitches but I do remember exactly what I heard that day. And it was this. (laughs) 
Those were friends and colleagues of Lake Effect producer Eileen Heikinen-Weiss, sharing stories about her life. Eileen passed away in October. We'd like to thank our friends at WBEZ in Chicago for helping us remember her. And that is today's Lake Effect. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Joy Powers. Join us again tomorrow at noon for another Lake Effect on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR.